Welcome to another episode of The Zag. It's Eric Soap here. Excited to talk to 2016 NLC fellow David Radcliffe. He's our go-to expert on all things media, entertainment, writing, and witty banter. Excited to have him here. Uh, welcome to The Zag. Let's get to it. David, how are you? I'm great. How are you? Dude, I always forget that you're from Nebraska, and thinks that you were there because you're such a, you're such a progressive LA kind of guy. It's hard to hard to remember where you actually grew up, where you're from. But you went back to Omaha last week or a couple weeks ago. Yeah, about last week. I spent half of it in Omaha and half of it in Okaboji, Iowa, where my grandpa lives. Nice. So, and I'm sure you get asked this a lot, but going back to such a deep red state, what are the conversations like? Since you're such a progressive guy, and I'm not sure your family um, holds well, all the same beliefs. You know, I, <laughs> um, my parents were both actors, and so uh, within Omaha, they kind of gravitated towards a, a art, very artistic community, and I kind of grew up in that same mode, although my own politics uh, were more conservative back then. Um, and so what I found, especially after the 2016 election in Nebraska, people aren't really talking about politics. Um, or at least not in the same way that we might out here. And I think some of that has to do with the the uh, scarcity of diversity in certain areas of the state. So when I was back um, in Omaha this past week, I went to see my mom in a, in a show. She was in a stage show. And uh, I looked around the audience and I was like, wow, I kind of forgot how many white people there are here. <laughs> I mean, I had gone between the half the week in in uh, Omaha and half in Okaboji, um, I had gone, uh, much longer than usual without seeing a, a non-white person. Um, and when I was growing up in Omaha, since I didn't have much to compare it to diversity wise, that did not seem outside of the norm for me. But now, you know, thinking back on my junior high and high school experience, um, most of my friends were white. Um, there were very few students of color uh, within uh, my district. So, you know, that's something that moving back and forth between Nebraska and California sort of clarifies for me some of what may have taken a turn with the election. I think we both get in our, our bubbles of presumed safety and then suddenly the election wakes us up to what the rest of the country is thinking and feeling. So then when you go back, do people assume you'll have vegan hamburgers in one hand and and Colin Kaepernick t-shirts in the other like what are their expectations of of you coming back um you know my grandpa will say things like um i hope that you're getting the other side of the story as well and that's what the kind of stuff he says or he'll send me something you know from from the economist or <laughs> or from uh Glenn Beck um and he's not even that my grandpa's not like a hard right guy he just is concerned that I'm only getting one uh, particular perspective. And I think in many ways, Los Angeles is the opposite of that because you can find a lot more diversity of opinion within California, especially between LA, Orange County, and San Francisco than you can within Nebraska, I think, or at least certain parts of Nebraska. Yeah, so I don't, I don't know that anybody thinks that I'm extremely hard left, you know, um, in Nebraska, but I think there's more of an aversion to having conversations about politics, um, especially at a time when 
not even a lot of people that voted for Donald Trump are particularly happy with what he's doing. <laughs> I can believe that. So then what do you attribute the success of an NLC chapter like Omaha, which raised uh, almost $50,000 last year and has uh, you know, really strong participation, even though it's only three, three years old? Is there a hidden progressive core there or the fact that Omaha's and Nebraska itself is primarily red, everyone has gravitated and found all the progressives and they stick together really well. Well, I think, you know, part of what the way that we characterize each other in terms of California and Nebraska is everybody in Nebraska thinks that everyone in California is, you know, uh, vegan, uh, tree hugging, uh, whatever. <laughs> and then most people in California think that parts of Nebraska are deep red as, you know, parts of Texas might be. Um, and I don't, I don't think either case is particularly true. In Omaha and Lincoln, there are some strong artistic and progressive pockets. So while I'm somewhat surprised that the NLC Omaha chapter is one of the top performing chapters nationally, I'm not all that surprised that it does, it does fairly well because I think people tend to gravitate towards um, ideologies that they can relate to, especially when you might seem like you might feel like you're the minority. Yeah. Uh, when we come back, I want to ask David about some of his speaking engagements he's been doing lately. And like I said, in the intro, he's our go-to person when it comes to hot TV shows and what we should be watching. So I definitely want to ask you about that too. Stay tuned. You're listening to the zag. David, it's been fun to watch you uh, kind of build your your empire here of sorts. Um, love to hear a little bit about some of the speaking engagements you've been doing uh, and what you've been talking to people about in the entertainment industry. Um, well, I'm part of the Committee for Writers with Disabilities at the Writers Guild, and um, we do a lot of... I hesitate really to, to use the term advocacy because I think it feels kind of loaded to some people. Um, I do have... A, I have cerebral palsy, but I don't see my existence... I don't feel like my existence should inherently be <laughs> labeled as advocacy, but we do have a lot of conversations about how disability is represented in the media. One of the things, one of the challenges that we run up against is that traditionally the pathway to creative work for a lot of people in television begins with running around being an assistant for someone else. And if you have a disability, those, those jobs are kind of off limits um, or at least you're very less likely to be um, considered for those jobs. So uh, for certain networks, we're trying to push the conversation towards what are some avenues that we can create to get some of these other voices into uh, creation of media that aren't being represented. Um, the analogy that I use is we have you know shows like Speechless on ABC, which seems like a really great step, and I think it is, um, although the writing staff doesn't have anybody with a disability on it. Um, the showrunner um, has a brother with cerebral palsy, so that's kind of one step removed from what we'd like. It's, it's as if, you know, if the writing staff of Blackish were completely white, <laughs> but some people had black spouses. Um, so, <laughs> so we're trying to open up the conversation a little bit to get more of that representation in, uh, especially to the stories where such things are, you know, really a focus. It's an interesting point about starting a career and what goes into some of those jobs. Do I have this right? I can't remember if you, this happened to you or if you told me a story about somebody else, but uh, somehow working in some sort of studio 
and part of the application was they want to know if you could carry heavy things. Was that does that happen to you, or did that happen to somebody else? It, does, it doesn't happen to me specifically because I don't go out for those kind of jobs anymore. <laughs> um, but that is um, that was probably something that I I shared. Um, that is a way to sort of subconsciously or right. not overtly uh, discriminate against a group of people um, without saying you know that without saying that they're discriminating. For example, I had posted something on Facebook about the unemployment statistics for people with disabilities being somewhere around 70%, which if that were any other group, we would be, you know, justifiably outraged. Um, And one of my friends posted in response, well, we have the ADA, so disability discrimination can't happen anymore, (laughs) which is, which is kind of like saying our schools aren't segregated anymore. Even though, you know, in, as you know, certain communities, um, the, the diversity of a particular school might skew wa- widely in one direction or the other. In the same way, uh, jobs for people with disabilities can be subtly discriminating um, just by saying, can you lift this? Can you lift and carry this? Um, so that is sort of a way that you can kind of build in discrimination without actually overtly saying it. And then as you're talking to different um, industry folks, what kind of response do you get when you bring these points up? Is it something you feel they're being sympathetic just in that moment and then things fade away, there's not much follow-up? Or do you see doors opening or further conversations happening? Um, It varies. I think there's some embarrassment. I think that just as in regular day-to-day life, you know, when somebody... When I need to use, when I'm in my wheelchair and I need to use a ramp and a car is parked in front of the ramp, if I point out to the person when they come out to get their car, I'll say, you know, you're parked in front of a ramp. And the first thing they'll say is, oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't think of that. And they may genuinely be sorry. Um, but that doesn't change the fact that they didn't think of that. And that's the way that obstacles happen. I don't think it's malicious. I think it's just, um, ignorant. And I mean that in the kindest <laughs> possible way. Um, but yeah, I try to connect it to conversations that we have about um, writers, writers of color, um, LGBT writers, women writers, because I feel like in some cases those conversations have moved further along so that people are more receptive. Um, of course, there's still a lot of work to be done in those areas, but considering the numbers that we have, uh, disability is fairly far behind. And I've yet to see any award shows in the entertainment industry that have a ramp to the stage, (laughs) which which is kind of a metaphor for the whole experience. Um, It's very tricky because you don't want to be a table thumper, but you do want to, especially towards people who are willing to have diversity conversations, you want to be able to try to move them to expand that conversation a little bit further to include a group that has not historically been considered. And then in your day-to-day experience, speaking of, of, of ramps and maybe ADA type things, is there much difference in your day-to-day experience between LA and where you grew up? Or, how, or is it about the same? What differences do you um, see? You know, it's funny. I feel like my life experience in both places is very different now, but in ways that aren't necessarily traditional. And part of that is because when I go back to Omaha, I don't have access to a car. <laughs> so I'm really not going much of anywhere. Um, and, and Los uh, Omaha, you know, people say Los Angeles is a, is a, is a city for drivers, uh, generally. 
Um, Omaha is very much a city for drivers. There's very little public transportation. So it does become kind of isolating. I don't have the same kind of run-ins day-to-day with people that comment on my disability in Omaha as I do in LA, but I think that's because in Los Angeles I'm I'm doing more. Um, I think that... Yeah, I think... Oh, it- I was going to say, if there's a way for you to have a New York Times bestseller immediately, I feel like capturing some of the most interesting conversations you have just standing around in LA that you post on your Facebook page uh, (laughs) would be a great place to start because, yeah, some of these things you're putting up there are pretty just odd and remarkable and sometimes charming and sometimes frustrating. I think people would buy that book. Well, I'm I'm trying to find a way to monetize that. (laughs) Um, I feel like there has to be a greater message than, you know, look how weird my life is. Um, but maybe not, maybe that sells. Um, you know, there are, I find, cause sometimes I use a wheelchair and sometimes on, I'm on crutches and that sort of changes the experience somewhat. Um, people, people in Venice beach, for example, are very eager to try to heal me. I've been, I've been, okay. you know, I've been given praise and prayers by many people, uh, selling incense in Venice beach. Um, <laughs> people are inspired by things that should not be inspiring uh in some ways having a disability this is this is what the the knot that that gets created in terms of employment for a lot of groups is if people are inherently inspired by mundane things by a person a per yeah if those expectations are that low if they're just impressed that you showed up for the interview or that you drive your own car what are the odds that they're going to consider you for a job that has you know some significant responsibility. Um, and that that's fed back in through the media. The perceptions that people have of me, the things that I share on Facebook, for example, are fed by the fact that they haven't seen a lot of people like me in the media they consume or in leadership positions or in the news, um, unless it's some bizarre, inspiring story. Um, and so that's why I try to put myself in as many spaces as possible to show leadership capability, not just for me, but I think it's important for the, you know, a larger group. I think that's, I think that's what part of what draws me to NLC so tightly is that we've got a lot of different people from a lot of different diverse communities, um, who recognize the responsibility of, you know, whether they like it or not, they're representing (laughs) a group larger than themselves. And one of the questions I asked when I interviewed for NLC um, was, did we have other people with disabilities at the time? I don't think that we had. Um, so, so that was all the more reason for me to get involved because I think it informs conversations we can have about transportation, about employability, about, uh, education, all all that stuff. Yeah. Nice. Uh, well, as promised, when we come back, TV recommendations from David, thanks for staying tuned to the Zag. All right, let us have it. What do you feel like we should be watching that we're not watching? Well, right you know, now? the Emmys are coming up this Sunday, um, and I'm a big fan of uh, all things Ben Skilligan. Uh, Better Call Saul is great. Um, and it was funny, I was watching The Handmaid's Tale today because I'm not completely done with it yet. And I watched the first episode, and I wasn't really into it. And now that I'm like four episodes in, I can see um, both why it's so uh, topical and scary 
under the current administration and, and also why, you know, it's, it's so uh, creatively interesting. Um, I, I think speechless has moved from a place of sort of uh, being kind of tentatively involved with disability issues to being a much bigger part of the conversation. Unfortunately, we have very little representation. So anytime a show with a disability shows up, <laughs> everybody's referring it to me. <laughs> like, okay, yeah, you've you know, before, like you should, you should see this, this show on TV. It's got a deaf kid. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, speechless is speechless is good. Um, there's something I'm involved with that I can't really talk about till, <laughs> Uh, till later this year, so I'm 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 hesitant to to discuss it. But there is a big, uh, they're doing a big disability episode, uh, which it, which not I Game may or Thrones? may not be connected to. No, it's not Game of Thrones. Uh, okay, yeah, um, it's funny though. A three episode character arc for you, David, on I'm, Game of Thrones. I, <laughs> I think I'd be killed off very quickly. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I think it's an exciting, it's a pr- pretty exciting time uh, for television. Um, and, you know, every year they do uh, these reports that come out about diversity representation in television. And unfortunately, disability is such a small percentage that it's very often not even included <laughs> in the diversity report. So I'll be happy when we get to the point where we're included in the numbers, just so we have something to measure. And then so when you're also in conversations with folks in the industry, are you pitching your own shows? Are you trying to get on as a writer on a writing staff in a writer's room? Like what's your, what's your play yeah, right now? I, um, ideally I'd love to be on a show. Um, but I also recognize, you know, I've been in conversations over the past six months or so where I'm kind of wending my way towards another space of the conversation, which is, is it more important for me to get my voice on something or to, to, uh, champion, multiple voices, a, a particular group that's underrepresented. And so I'm kind of, you know, um, finding a middle path through that. But I am working on my own material, and I'm actually writing a book about the presidents right now. Not not for television, it's just a, a book book. Um, oh, about all the presidents? All or of certain the presidents. Your face? <laughs> all it's, of the presidents. It's in, it's in rhyme. Uh, I'm about halfway done. I'm at Benjamin Harrison. So um, <laughs> not the most exciting president. How long does it, how long does it take you per president to knock out the rhyme? Uh, the rhyme doesn't take very long. Um, the research takes a little bit longer. Um, and once I can find major themes of each term or administration, uh, then I can kind of play around with it a little bit. Um, and is your process to write the rhymes in order of presidents or you skip around to, I'm in a polk <laughs> mood today. I'm in a Fillmore mood today. Are we all in a mood? How does the mood um, Uh, this actually started because after the election, I wrote a poem about Donald Trump and, um, uh, it was fun and it got really good response. And I thought, well, this is a a fun little side project. I wonder if I could do this for all of them. Uh, I suspect that by the time I get to Donald Trump in the book, we'll have already moved on to (laughs) 46. (laughs) Yeah. Mike in the hopper in case things go. We're speeding along. Um, so yeah, well, you know, ho- hopefully things will will continue to speed along, and we'll get to a, a progressive president soon. Uh, but David, thanks for joining us. Thanks for your insights as always, and thanks to everyone for listening to this episode of the Zag. You can check out the rest of them at la.newleaderscouncil.org. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you soon.